0: Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal to help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey everybody, and welcome to episode two hundred and forty-one of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I have been very excited about this episode. Uh, I spent Pretty much all of 2018, with friends of mine saying, "Hey, where are you on the Enneagram?" And you know what? Most of my friends guessed a three or a seven. And uh, I thought, yeah, I gotta, I gotta do the Enneagram. And then late in 2018, I finally picked up Ian Morgan Cron's book, and. I'm like, Oh my goodness, I'm an eight. And I was fascinated by his book. It was so good. And I could finally see, you know, sometimes stuff is overhyped and you're like, really, are we going to do the Enneagram? And when I read the book, I'm like, Oh yeah, I got to get him on the podcast. So within a few weeks we had the interview scheduled and here we are early in 2019 and I've got Ian Cron and this book has helped. Uh, I think it's sold over 200,000 copies Uh, It's called The Road Back to You. And it is uh, the talk among a lot of leaders, at least in certain circles, about what's your Enneagram number. And if you're a corporate leader, this can help you immensely. Ian talks about, you know, an office he visited where... Uh, Everybody changed their office doors to include their Enneagram number. Because if you're a leader, you're trying to manage people. And you may have noticed if you've done this for more than 10 minutes that you can't manage everybody the same way. And you can't lead everybody the same way. So anyway, uh, this is fascinating self-awareness. We do a deep dive into my weird personality type and talk about the difference between a healthy uh, person and an unhealthy person. I've also got some blog posts I wrote on the Enneagram that we will link to in the show notes. So uh, yeah, I also write a blog. But anyway, uh, it's going to be a fascinating episode. Ian Morgan Cron is originally an Anglican priest, and he uh, has been an author for the last 10 years. And this, uh, by far, has become a runaway bestseller. So Really excited for this episode. Hey, uh, I know that you probably are trying to do a better job on your social media platform. Actually, that's one of my personal goals for 2019. And you know what? Uh, you probably don't have the staff to do it. And there is a solution. In fact, there's a new service uh, called Pro media Fire. And you, because you listen to this podcast, can get in on the ground floor. It's a cloud-based church creative team. And they provide unlimited graphic design services, unlimited custom church videos for a monthly flat fee that is a fraction of what you would pay any staff member. They've got over 30 years combined experience working for ministry. So these guys are truly pros. So they have a limited launch special that expires soon this month, uh, as in not many days left, uh, 10% off all plans for life and 40% off for the media bundle for life with unlimited graphic design and video services. So go today to promediafire.com carry. That's promediafire.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y, to save 10 to 40% off. Hey, also, what are you doing in terms of conferences this year? You know, in my view, the best leaders invest in themselves. And I think one of the premier investment opportunities you've got for conferences this year, or really, I mean, conference is a bit of an exaggeration. Let's just call it an event. It's Rethink Leadership. It's happening in early May. You can check it out at RethinkLeadership.com. And this year we have an incredible lineup. So, We've got Facebook's Nona Jones coming, Uh, Darius Daniels will be there, Elliot Crowther, one of the founders of PushPay, Danielle Strickland, Kara Powell, Brad Lominick, John Acuff, myself, and many more will be there. And we are super excited for this year's Rethink Leadership. So it's a little bit different than other events you've been to. Because, you know, here's the problem in the age we live in, you probably have heard you know, whatever somebody is going to say before you got to the conference, thanks to the internet. Well, first of all, we ask everybody who's there to write a brand new talk. But you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But six months later, I'm going to hear that talk somewhere else. True. But what you won't have is access. Uh, this is a limited attendance event. We limit it to 500 liters. It sells out every year. Uh, and we have a green room, but we encourage speakers not to use it. And we don't have breakouts. We have affinity conversations. So We allow people to speak for 15 minutes, presenters to speak for 15 minutes, then it's all Q&A. You walk out of there with community, with your questions answered, and so much more. Rethink Leadership, happening in early May. Head on over to rethinkleadership.com to get the very latest and get in while the rates are still good. I would love to see you there. I am hosting. You're getting a $40 discount if you register now. And people who register... At this point, we'll also receive a $50 credit toward any Orange curriculum. First look, 252 kids, uh, the high school stuff, middle school stuff. And that credit is limited to $100 per group, but it's pretty incredible. And that is the curriculum we use at the church where I serve, Connexus Church. So join me this year at Rethink Leadership. We can't wait to see you. Head on over to RethinkLeadership.com for more information and to register today. And now without any further ado... What's your Enneagram number? You may be able to figure it out in part by the end of this interview with Ian Cron. Ian, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you. It's my delight, thanks. Hey, um, your book, as we were talking about before we hit record, uh, really spun me around. Um, Well-written, funny, like I I really value humor and I I loved it. And I kind of, to be honest with you, because it's been out for a couple of years, I thought it might've been overhyped You know, when you just, all your friends are telling you about a book? Not at all. Uh, I went out and bought 10 or 12 copies after I finished reading it and gave them to all my friends for Christmas and family and staff and that kind of stuff. But for the uninitiated who hasn't heard about The Road Back to You or the Enneagram, there must be three people left on the planet. Can you give us a brief overview of what the Enneagram is and why you and your colleague Suzanne wrote The Road Back to You?
1: So, The Enneagram is uh, an ancient personality typing system that teaches there are nine basic personality types in the world, one of which we all gravitate toward and adopt in childhood as a, a way of coping and navigating this big world of relationships. And each of those nine types has an underlying motivation that powerfully influences the way that type thinks, acts, and feels, and describes each of those types, or accounts for each of those types' worldviews. Hmm. Um, And it's a very powerful tool for developing self-understanding and self-awareness. And Suzanne and I both felt like it was time for a primer, you know, a, an introduction to the Enneagram, because most of the books about it are content rich, but very dense and very long. Right. And we thought, how do we make this accessible to a person, you know, who doesn't have time to, you know, they'd have to quit their day job in order to figure this out. How do we put it out there in a way that's simple and easy to access? And I mean, it, it, it uh, was a difficult task, but we got through it.
0: Hmm. Well, mission accomplished. I mean, it's readable, understandable. Uh, what got you and Suzanne interested in the Enneagram? Like, how did this fascinate? Has this been something that's been part of your ministry slash life for decades?
1: Yeah, I actually was first introduced to the Enneagram in seminary in the 1990s. And, uh, you know, I had a, I attended a few workshops, I read some books on it, but, you know, my life was going in a million different directions and I didn't had the time to throw myself into it, uh, but when my when I became an empty nester, you know, and my life was expanding in different directions, I returned to it, and I realized at one point, gosh, no one has written on this topic for a long time in in particularly in the faith based sphere, mm-hmm. and I thought, man, we got to throw our hat in that ring because everywhere I went, you know. I kept hearing people talk about their Enneagram numbers and I kept thinking there's no book. So, Hmm. you know, off we went.
0: Well well done. So just to, for for those who who may be fairly new to it, dissect me for a second. So all of my friends who started getting (laughs) into this, yeah. Free cheap therapy. Okay, Ian. Uh, sure, yeah, uh, sure. All right. All my friends who, who uh, have been getting into this before me, I was a late adopter. They're like, Newhof, you're a three or a seven. That's just who you are. You're a three or a seven. So performer or what's a seven called again? You've got that down. Yeah,
1: yeah sure. So yeah, they're called the enthusiasts and you eights are called the challengers.
0: Yeah. So uh, when I took the test, I came out as an eight and when I read the book, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm an eight. And I had my close staff, the people who've worked with me for a long time, are texting me going, you're definitely an eight, you're an eight, you're an eight, which was interesting because it felt a little bit like like a report card where I might get in trouble at home. Um, You know, when I came out as an eight, not the fun loving seven or the performer who's a three. Um, but if you can explain, just like what is what is a person like me? What are we like? What's an eight? And then we'll do a brief overview of all of the personality types.
1: Sure. Well, eights are called the challengers because they um, they're often blunt, notoriously blunt, yes, forceful, domineering, uh, authoritative people who are larger than life presences when they walk into a room. I mean, you guys just (laughs) radiate power and strength um, and really gusto for life. You know, that's the best word I would give for it. You just have a lot of gusto. You don't, eights often don't realize, however, that um, they are as intimidating to other people as they are. They don't really know how big their guns are, you know? And so, you know, part of the journey for them is learning to monitor and self-regulate all that power you know and when it's used for in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons, that power is awesome and wonderful. When it's not, you're, it's best just to keep the kids away from people like you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, you know it, it was so, it's funny. It was as I was reading through the chapter, I'm resonating with every line, including some weird stuff I'd never heard anybody say before. So, you know, the thing about, um, the the not being aware of your own presence or your power or uh, the air changing when you walk into your room it took me back to a conversation that I hadn't thought about in decades. When I was nineteen or twenty, I was in college in university, uh, undergrad liberal arts, and I remember sitting around with some friends of mine at the time, and they said, "Carrie, when you walk in the room, the atmosphere changes." I'm
1: like, "Oh what? yeah, the balance. Of, oh yeah, the balance of power shifts." So it's like um, they used to say about Frank Sinatra, who was an eight, and he was a little guy. And and by the way, my mom is an eight, my mother is an eight, and my daughter is an eight. So I have a lot of experience with eights. Um, Right. So, you know, they used to say about Sinatra that you could, they said, you could feel Frank walk into a room 15 minutes before he got there. Wow. What is that? Well, I mean, part of it is, you know, um, a bit of a defensive strategy, right? Uh-huh. Every every type, as I mentioned, has an underlying motivation, right? So for the eight, it's to assert power and strength over the environment and people in order to mask vulnerability and weakness uh, that really lays at the center of their person and, or, and really at the center of all of us, right? Mm. But an eight, uh, worries about betrayal and about, um, others controlling them. And so in a preemptive way, they, you know, they're messaging, don't mess with me. I'm in control. And, hmm. you know, if you, if you're aware of that, you know, you can mitigate some of the problems that could come with it. If you're not, you're on autopilot and just, you know, out there operating without enough self-awareness to prevent yourself from banging guardrail to guardrail through people's lives.
0: Isn't that interesting? And of course, we'll get into this as, as the conversation continues, but there's a difference between a healthy eight, what you call an average eight, and an unhealthy eight. And in the case of eights, it's as radically different as, you know, healthy eight could be Martin Luther King Jr. And an unhealthy one would be Stalin. You know, yes. like like yeah. liberating people or murdering people, right? Like that is the difference yeah. between health and, and ill health. But but self-awareness is such, and I think that's the thing I love so much about the Enneagram because I'm passionate about self-awareness, emotional intelligence. But like, you know, one of the great puzzles for me uh, about a, 10, 15 years ago was I kept having team members around me say, man, you can be so intimidating. And I think of myself as, no, I'm just just one of the crew. And one of the nicknames of uh, the woman who was then our executive director of operation, she gave me uh, the nickname Bam Bam. Remember the Flintstones?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and she said, you don't know your own strength. Like to me, no. it's just a point. It's like, I just made a point. And no, you just steamrollered over everybody in the meeting. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I just, I just said a few words. But apparently, killed everybody.
1: So I think the big gift of the enneagram is self-understanding, and that's a prerequisite for self-awareness, which I would define as the ability uh, to see in real time the effect your personality has on other people, and to observe and then to use that this word again, regulate mm. um, your Personality, so that you're able to communicate and function in the world at the at the healthiest level to be the, the best expression of yourself.
0: Yeah, well, and and that's you open up the book with with that quote from Augustine: "Grant Lord that I may know myself, that I may know Thee." It's mm-hmm. a variation of what Calvin said: "Without knowledge of God, there's no knowledge of self. Without knowledge of self, there's no knowledge of God."
1: Yes, and of course, you know, uh, sadly, the 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 church and at large has largely forgotten that teaching. And so one of the things that I have been most excited about is seeing a revival of uh, people wanting to understand themselves better, not in a way that's navel-gazing, but really Mm -hmm. that's that's in service to advancing the program, the redemption program of God in the world. And so that to me is uh, thrilling.
0: Well, one of the other things, then we'll move on to some other things. But, you know, as an eight, it was the only line I I recall you saying. What did you say? You would listen to Nickelback every single day for a year if you would reread this line. And it was simply, eights do not need to be in control. They simply don't want to be controlled. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you have been inside my head. For most of my life, because I've said that in meetings and with people and I've thought about moves I had to make. And, and, and actually, as somebody who is not the lead pastor anymore, three years ago, we navigated the succession. If there is one thing my successor and I had to work on over and over and over again, and Jeff did this extremely well. But I just realized that was the dynamic underneath. It's like, I don't need to be in control. I just don't want to be controlled. And he has done a masterful job of leading me and giving me the freedom I need to continue to teach at the church without being a, a destructive force but hopefully a constructive one. But I thought, man, that it was just so perceptive and I've had, you know, like many people listening to this podcast, I've had many many personality assessments done. That was the first one to name that. I thought you phrased it really well.
1: Oh, that's good. I'm 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 glad to hear it. I think you know, uh, my experience with AIDS is that um, they—the uh, idea of being at the mercy of somebody else, to being uh, underneath the power uh, of another—is just anathema. I mean, they just don't—they just resist it to, to the max. You you push against authority all the time to make sure. That they know that, you know, you're here, you're in charge, uh, or, you know, if, if they want to be in charge, they better earn it, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, you guys are wonderful. I mean, eights, eights can be the most, when they're healthy, I think the most popular number of all types.
0: Hmm. Really? What do you mean by that?
1: Like- oh, you're just a blast. I mean, you're, you, I mean, you're unedited you're loud and fun and you, you just, you know, if, if think of it this way, um, you know, most numbers on the Enneagram run on 120 volts. You know, we got that normal little plug with the two prongs, right? Yeah. And and you guys have, you know, that, you know, that, plug behind your dryer with the you know the big <laughs> yeah,
0: the you know, giant thing. one. That, yeah.
1: Yeah. Every time you plug it in, you're like, okay, kids, get out of the house. I'm not sure what's gonna happen. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> that's two hundred and forty volts, right? And and that's what you guys run on. You just have this you have more energy than any other number on the Enneagram. More by far.
0: Isn't that interesting? And that's been oh. true in my life. I had like three jobs in high school and oh. multiple careers and like I'm interested in everything. And the healthier I've become, my last book, Didn't See It Coming, is all about sort of the journey to health as a leader, as a human being. But the healthier I've become, the more fun I've become. But I definitely, the people around me would know the destructive side of an eight too, particularly in my younger years.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, it. What the Enneagram teaches, and we can, we can hit on this when we perhaps mm. talk about the sort of the spiritual side of the Enneagram, um, which is that what's best about you is what's worst about you, and what's yeah. worst about you is what's best about you. It just all depends on which side of the coin you want to play, you know, and so, mm-hmm. and so you have to, you know, I'm, I'm always reminded this, I, to develop that inner witness that can watch what you're doing as you're doing it. Right. And so that you're able to go, uh oh, you're able to see the, the red flags that, that you're beginning to deteriorate in your health and awareness. And, and when that happens, all bets are off. And that's true for every number, right? It, mm-hmm. you, just start, you just start devolving into the worst expression of who you are slowly over time. And by the way, you, you know, when, my, when we talk about average, healthy, unhealthy, that in the course of a day, you know, you're going like this. You know, you're you're <laughs> spiking up and down. You know, so uh-huh. at any give at any given moment, I could have a call and I, like right now, I think I'm probably in an average space. I'm guessing, um, but you know, I could get a call in an hour from now that and it makes me plummet. You know, onto the worst side to me. And in two hours, you know, I could have an interaction or something I read could spike me way up into the healthy range. So you know, it's all about real time monitoring and regulating and to the point that eventually you don't have to really think about it as much. You know, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're just in the right space and the spikes and the, the, you know, the roller coaster ride becomes less intense and a little bit more, you know, evenly planed.
0: I think, I think that's extremely helpful and very accurate. I mean, I have an advantage over many listeners. I've lived a couple more decades. And, but for me, the more aware I am of the blunt force of, my wiring, the more I can regulate it. And the more I've craved over the decades, just people close to me who can say, Hey, Carrie, can I talk to you? You were way out of line in that meeting. Or uh, you should have said more. Today, you were a little bit blunted. Like you were, where was that spark? You seemed disengaged. And, you know, that, that's that been really helpful to me. Well, so people can find themselves in the story. Can you give us a thumbnail of the the nine numbers so that people will recognize the people they love? or maybe themselves in it. And by the way, we'll link to this in the show notes, but I blogged on this a month ago, and I know well, when we were recording this, uh, but we've we've had thousands of listeners and leaders already take the free assessment that you have on your site. So we'll link to that so you can do this in detail. Uh, and it was a really helpful assessment. What was it? ExploreYourType.com is? Yes, the
1: site? yes. Yes, and actually, um, by the time this releases, I'm not sure if that will still be up because we've just um, inked a deal with a company um, for an assessment that's far more comprehensive and delivers. It oh, Gives a much longer. It gives a 44-page report, so wow. it's, it's not. Yeah, it's not a. You know, it's pretty comprehensive, and we're using it a lot in with corporate um, clients uh, as well as faith-based clients, but it's um it's a good little tool and uh I, but i will say that the, the best way to really learn your number is not through an assessment but by reading a book or attending yeah. a workshop i mean it, it by mm-hmm. far away, because the problem with self report assessments is is that they can't tell whether or not the person taking it is self aware enough to give accurate answers
0: right right Right, but when 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 the people you've worked with for a decade are texting you going, you're an eight, you're an eight, you're an eight, you're probably an eight, and when you read it and you write, it resonate with every line in the book. You're like, yep, I'm an right. eight. Yeah. So
1: by the way, eights, eights are are one of those numbers that uh, it's fairly easy for them to know they're eights. Y- right. You know what I'm saying? Like they've they've had a long history of being an eight, and but there are other numbers where it's less clear, or or when you know. People um, have passed through seasons of suffering, or they've just gotten older. Some of the edges of those personality styles blur a little bit. It takes a little mm. bit longer. They soften. You know, they're they're less stark. And so, you know, um, for for many types, myself included, it took me ten months to figure out my type. And I'm a I'm a trained therapist. You, you know, yeah, you think yeah, I would yeah, know yeah. this. I've taken a lot of personality uh, inventories and 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 I'm trained in, in in them and I it with the enneagram it took 10 months however it was well worth the wait and the study because what it yielded was the kind of accurate uncannily accurate description of my interior world far better than any other assessment that I know
0: and if I remember correctly you're a 4 is that right that's that's right yeah yeah yeah. Okay. Well, let's start at the beginning. Um, one
1: sure. That's, uh, the, the perfectionists are ones. These are people who are meticulous, hardworking and reliable people who are motivated by a need to perfect themselves, others in the world. Mm. Twos are warm, caring and giving people, uh, and they're motivated by a need to be needed and loved by others. Uh, Threes are the, the performers or the achievers, depending on, on who you talk to. Uh, these people are success-oriented, image-conscious. These are They have memorized David Allen's book, Getting Things Done. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like they, are, they are productivity hounds. They're motivated by a need to succeed or to appear successful uh, and to avoid failure at all costs. Fours, uh, they're the romantics, sometimes the individualists they're called. Creative, sensitive, uh, temperamental. Uh, they're motivated by a need to be unique and special. Lots of, uh, I'd say a disproportionate number of artists and creatives fall into that that space. Uh, fives, uh, the investigators, analytical. Good. The most analytical number on the Enneagram. Uh, they uh, are somewhat detached um, mm-hmm. and very private. They're motivated by a need to gain knowledge, uh, to conserve energy, uh, and avoid relying on, on other people. Sixes are called the loyalists. We think there are more sixes in the world than any other type. It's speculation. Yeah, isn't it like but I, half
0: the population you said we well, the
1: book? I, yeah. I mean, again, it's speculative. But, right. But uh, I think there's evidence to suggest that there are more sixes than any other type in the world. Um, they're committed, they're practical, they're down to earth. Um, they are also worst case scenario thinkers who are motivated by fear and the need to feel safe and secure in an otherwise unpredictable world. Um, Mm -hmm. sevens are the enthusiasts. I got a son who's a seven. Um, I love them. They're fun. They're spontaneous and adventurous. They're motivated by a need to be happy, right? To plan hmm. and and actually to really—that's the word—to plan and uh, uh, execute, right, in right. the pursuit of stimulating experiences and new ideas and the the idea of an unlimited future, you know, and 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 it's all in service to avoiding uh, uncomfortable feelings or or pain. Mm-hmm. It's. Challengers, I already said this, commanding, intense, confrontational, right? They're motivated by a need to be strong and to assert control over the environment and others to avoid revealing weakness or vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And and then finally, nines uh, are – they're called the sweethearts of the Enneagram. I'm married (sighs) to a nine. Uh, They're pleasant. They're laid back, accommodating, go with the flow, don't rock the boat types. who are motivated by a need to keep the peace, to merge with the agenda and programs of uh, another person or of a group. And the big one here is to avoid conflict at all costs.
0: Hmm. And we thought, I thought my wife might have been a nine when we were talking about this back and forth, and she's deep into the book right now.
1: Okay, so let me guess. Uh, if she's not a nine, she's, uh, she confused herself with being a two.
0: Almost, she turns out to, she thinks she's a five and she has read through the five and yeah, she's, you know, we've been together almost 30 years, married 28, dating 30. And uh, she is still mysterious. There are layers, you tell the story of your good friend who's a five in the book, who like, you know, all of a sudden you're 20 years into the relationship, you learn he has a sister he's never talked about, right? Now that's not my wife's case, but there are parts of her, I'm still learning and she really identifies with that, um, which is yeah. which is interesting. So this
1: actually raises a great point, and that is every we're all nine numbers. You contain yeah. all nine numbers, right? So if you try to determine your type on the basis of characteristic traits or behaviors as they're described, you're going to be utterly confused. This is a mistake that most people make. Uh, which is, oh, I do this or I don't do that. And so here's the, here's the mantra I always tell people. It's not what you do that matters. It's why you do it. Hmm. Wh- which means you have to really read through all those uh, underlying motivations I just articulated and figure out which one of those you most identify with. Because it's the underlying motivation driving the traits and the characteristics above the waterline right it's it's right under the waterline operating the operating theme underneath the waterline that is responsible for what's happening above it so you got to figure out what's underneath it not what's above it base it on on those underlying motivations or you'll get lost in a just a you know ocean of all these characteristics and traits of each different type, and you'll relate to all of them. You'll get utterly confused. Just go right to the underlying motivations and figure it out from there.
0: Oh, no, that's good to know because even the perfectionist uh, thing, you, that that line in your book about uh, perfectionist is somebody who looks into a dishwasher, someone else loaded and thought, how on earth could any human being have done this? It's 100% me. Uh, so I would say if there's a Another thing that I score, you know, half the points on or whatever, it could be perfectionist. But I think you're right. There's a dominant style. And one of the points I really appreciate you making your approach to the Enneagram is you think a lot of this gets formed in childhood in response to either making sense of the world or like out of a wound or whatever. Can you talk more about that?
1: Yeah, well, personality theory is very complicated and it is uh, hotly debated. In all the different schools of psychology, you know, it's, you know, there's not a lot of agreement about (laughs) personality theory in the world of psychology. Um, You know, you're born with a certain temperament and disposition, right? It's genetics and biology. You came into this world. My daughter, who's an eight, right? Mm -hmm. She came into this world. You could just tell. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this kid was an eight. I mean, just had all that energy and forcefulness and drive and all those characteristic features of an eight, right? So disposition and temperament, that is never changing. It is immutable. You will never not have that that disposition and temperament. You know, that's not going to change. However, your personality is also made up of the responses that you, you had to environmental forces, family forces, cultural influences, you know, etc. So you, we're a complicated soup, really, uh, of things. It's, and much of our personality is really made up of the adaptive stratagems that we came up with to get our basic needs met in life uh, early on. Uh, we read the expectations that important people had of us, and we complied, you know. And uh, so all of that is in the mix
0: here. Let's put some legs on it. Um, you know, type three. So someone who would be, is it the performer is type three? The performer, uh, your dad was a three, if I remember correctly in the book. What? And yeah. lots of my friends are threes. So a lot of people who put a microphone on on the weekend or to speak, they find themselves in that position, which is why I think a lot of my friends thought I was a three. So the question then is, you know, what would happen in like, what are the things below the waterline that would drive a three?
1: Sure. Well, there is this uh, fundamental need to succeed Um, Mm -hmm. in order, really, if you get down to it, we all want to be loved, right? We all want to be approved. We we all want to experience belonging in the mind of a three. They, they believe that the world only values others for what they do rather than for who they are inside, right? Mm-hmm. So when you have a, a belief like that floating around in your ecosystem, right, you're going to um, act upon it. You're going to say, what do I have to do to secure uh, the love and the belongingness that I, I really want, my very basic needs? And you'll just start Being a high achiever, right? Because you're thinking, I got to be successful or appear successful if I want to be loved and get my needs met. So, man, your life program, your happiness program becomes the achiever style in the world. And that's all very contextual, right? So, it's not like every, every Three wants to be a CEO of a you know of an investment bank or a well-known writer or speaker that's lauded on stage you know and receives a lot of praise and, and recognition. You know you could be a uh, grow up in a, uh, a family a mafia family and for you success would be becoming the don of the family right
0: <laughs> right. So
1: it's just, it's very contextual. It's not stereotypical. You know people tend to stereotype rather than type. And, you know, so it's not thinking, you know, you necessarily want to be uh, Don Draper, you know, from uh, Mad (laughs) Mad Men, sort of an iconic three. Um, You know, it it can give expression to itself in very, very different ways.
0: Hmm. Um, How does this show up in Let's Start With Work? Uh, I know you did a great podcast with Donald Miller, which we'll link to. Uh, where you kind of talk about all the different personality types. So if you want to go deeper on that, I think you spent about five minutes on each personality type there and just kind of work through them. But this can really make you a better leader, a better manager. And then we'll talk about it at home too in marriage. But talk about how this shows up at work.
1: Yeah. In fact, you know, more and more, uh, when I first began working at the Enneagram, I did a lot of faith-based sort of uh, speaking engagements. uh, And I love them. They're fantastic, Hmm. right? But of of late, I've spent a lot more time doing corporate work, right? helping teams become uh, more aware of the different gifts, the diverse range of uh, talents that exist within uh, their group uh, based on each individual's type, and uh, also helping CEOs and leaders uh, more understand the people who work for them. Uh, to keep them engaged, right. you know, and et cetera, right? So, yeah, every every number on the enneagram has a different communication style. They have a different work style. They right. have different um, assets and liabilities. Uh, you know, one which has to be cultivated, and the other one which has to be mitigated, right? So, you know, it's a very powerful tool, uh, and I'll tell you the the response from from corporate work that i'm doing has been overwhelmingly positive uh let me give you an example of this i i did a a workshop at a fortune 500 company uh and i came back a few months later and i was in the hallway walking toward the hr person's office it was a follow-up meeting and i noticed that all the doors uh, in the hallway had numbers that made no sense. Like I couldn't figure out where her office was because her office number it was like everyone had, and then later she told me, oh, those aren't the numbers of the office. Those are their Enneagram numbers. <laughs> and she said, we put them up on, on all of our doors so that when people came in, um, they would be reminded, hey, this person doesn't see the world the way that I do. They, they they're coming to this conversation with a whole different lens. And to, to take that into account, to bake it into your calculations when you're you're meeting with them. And she said, it has reduced conflict enormously. It has given people a new appreciation uh, for uh, what they bring to the table. It's helped us in placement. It's helped us with engagement. I mean, the list goes on and on. Mm. And it, it's, it is because, and I love things like the Myers-Briggs. I love the Hogan. I love the strong Campbell inventory. I could give you... I you know a disc you know all that stuff I love it they they all have a lot but I don't know a, a more accessible um, and accurate or more accurate uh, instrument than than the enneagram for for helping people right out the gate figure this stuff out you know I mean I like uh, for example the Myers Briggs I was trained in the Myers-Briggs in graduate school. I still don't Mm -hmm. actually know what it is.
0: (laughs) No, I know. (laughs) know Everyone's like, I'm an ENFP. I'm an INTJ. It's like, good for you. What do I do with that? I don't know. Right. And so the Enneagram is so descriptive and and
1: so narrative in the way it describes people um, that it's easy. It's accurate. Frankly, it's fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's incredibly revealing, uh, sometimes to the point of being uncomfortable you know in the way that that it it, that it paints a picture of who we are i i'm just so excited about how it's changing corporate cultures when i'm when i'm going in and so each type as i said different ways of communicating and different ways of of operating in in workspaces so i can go through the numbers it would take a little bit i mean you heard yeah no i've got we've got time we got time done but one mm-hmm. of the things that, that uh, I try and do with uh, leaders is talk them through the do's and don'ts of managing each of these types. Well, I was
0: just going to say, are there certain types that shouldn't work together? But let's take your your uh, track instead. I think that's a good one.
1: No, I, I, but let me just answer that question. The answer is no. And and the, it's the same answer I give to people when they ask, are there certain types
0: that should, shouldn't marry each other? Yeah, that was the next uh, question. <laughs> it's like, hey, twos and eights, it's over
1: nope, if if it really depends on the health of each of those numbers. So if you have yeah. two uh, healthy four and a healthy eight, they can be dynamite together, right? Mm. To the degree that their health the, 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 you know there's a gap between health and unhealth uh, in those two numbers, the greater that gap becomes, the greater the problems become.
0: right? But unhealthy Unless, people uh, always create problems. I mean, regardless of your totally, number, right? Yeah,
1: totally. So if both types are healthy and are helping each other, be healthy, by the way, because they have this language of the Enneagram now to talk and rec- recognize unhealth and then talk about it when they, when they see it evidenced in another person. Well, you know, talk about efficiencies getting uh, greater and, and uh, uh, a happier, more harmonious work environment. And, you know, it's fantastic, right? So So
0: walk through those numbers, talk because I think this will be interesting. There's so many leaders, you know, so many workplace people here, whether it's in the faith space or the business space, who are mm -hmm. like, okay, so I'm an eight working with a one. What does that look like? Or, you know, a a six.
1: Right. I'll walk you you through some do's and don'ts. Yeah. So if you're working with a one, leverage their incredible talent for, I mean, these people can, they're the first people to spot the mistake.
0: These are perfectionists. So Perfectionists,
1: right? They, they, you know, when they're really healthy, you could call them the improvers. They can improve on anything, right? Hmm. And so they value clarity. You need to keep this in mind. They, they, they want to know exactly how a job should be done, and they need deadlines and structure. They like protocols. They like rules. They don't like people who bend the rules, right? Right, They don't don't ask them to cut a corner, right? So you, you, you don't want to allow a one. When a one's not in a good space, they'll, they'll procrastinate. They'll start putting off projects for fear they won't do them perfectly from the outset. Right. Right. So it's like if they write a book, you get around a one who's a, a writer, right? They get stuck on the first sentence forever because it doesn't sound like William Faulkner. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they, they want it to be that from word go. They don't believe in a rough draft, right? It's got to be perfect. And they procrastinate then or get stuck. So you have to keep reminding them, it's okay if you make mistakes, right? Mm. It's okay. Uh, That's how we all work. And, you know, that gives them some oxygen. You know, for twos, these are the most interpersonal, relational people on the Enneagram. Uh, And so you need to put them in places where They get a lot of people contact. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are make customer service people. I mean, you know, you want to have a frontline too around there somewhere. But they also have trouble saying no to people. They can sometimes, they're the ones who wander the hallways and are in conversation with every single person that they come across, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you got to tell them, um, I want you to keep doing that because that is your work style. But at the same time, at some point, you got to sit down and write the report. You know, yeah. you you just can't be wandering around uh, socializing with people, even though that's that's their superpower, right? You want to put that to work, right? You definitely do not want to put a, a two in a back office, for they have no contact with people. They'll they'll dry up and yeah. die and blow away. You know, I'd say with threes, you you want to. These are people who who have to win, and they they desperately want to win and cross that finish line first. You, you have to give them rewards. You got to offer mm. promotions. You got to give them clear performance targets and success measurements. They don't like this feeling that I'm not quite sure what success looks like You know, in this job. Right, they, right. They want it to be clear. And so, but you got to be careful with them because they'll, in order to win, sometimes they'll cut corners and sacrifice quality, mm. right? If they're very unhealthy, they may do things that are borderline unethical or or downright unethical in order to secure the win or appear like right. a winner. And like an eight – see, this is probably why they confuse you with three. That often happens is they'll run over coworkers on the way to the goal line. Gotcha. You, you know what I mean? And, and they'll just knock people down because they're like – the goal line is like throwing a dog for a bone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's it's, it's going to knock over the lawn furniture in order to get to it. You know, <laughs> so fours. You know, honestly, those um, are the romantics. They're yeah. the romantics, and again, as I said, disproportionately represented in the artistic community. I just did a uh, a corporate event or corporate training for a large one of the largest record labels in the world, and you know there were only. You know, a very small number of fours in the room. I I meet very, very few fours in corporate settings, really, (laughs) unless it's it's in the creative world.
0: So writers, artists, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, writers, artists, dancers, you know, uh, floral arrangers. I mean, these are people who have just an amazing amount of feeling and a sense of aesthetics. It's really, that's their superpower, right? So. Hmm. Uh, we need these people. They're the poets and the songwriters of the world. I meet mean, a lot of fours in Nashville, Tennessee, where I live, and and or threes who dress like fours because they think that's what an artist should look like. Uh, <laughs> um, but they're performers. But, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, for them, they need a, an environment where they can express all that creativity and that aesthetic sensibility, their distinct style. They need to know that you understand and respect the unique um, way they have of seeing the world. Uh, And they just need to know that you hear them and you're listening to what they're offering. And they'll be okay if you you decide you don't want to go in their direction. So long as they know you heard them and understood Hmm. them. And Hmm. I'm just giving you just a, these are little teeny. I mean, this is. No, but it's good. yeah. These are just you know, aspects of each of these personalities, but I, they're not by this is in no way comprehensive, right? With fives. Good Lord, just My the wife,
0: the investigator, also right. another longtime associate of mine is a five. Yeah.
1: So you know, the best thing to do if you're like say managing or working with a five is you give them a project, tell them when it's due, and let them get it done however and wherever. They want to do it, right? So I told, uh, recently I told a, a company, and you can't make this stuff up. So I'm at the label, <laughs> right? I got I, how many fives do I have? Three or four people raise their hand. And I said, let me guess, you're, you're in research and analytics, aren't you? And they all went,
0: they all nodded. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's a pharmacist and a solicitor.
1: Loves,
0: okay. loves the thought process.
1: Okay, so you can't make this stuff up, right? If you had told uh. me that your wife was like, in some other field, I mean, sometimes you can really almost name the fields that they gravitate right. to. So you're not I
0: surprised mean, a pharmacist and a lawyer who basically loves contracts?
1: Oh, no. But now, I would also say I meet a lot of pharmacists and contract lawyers who are ones. And if you think about uh, it, you'd like to have your pharmacist or you know your heart surgeon be a five or a one.
0: Oh, right? I, I got to tell you, she, she almost never makes mistakes. But on the days where... She thought she did. That—that's a Mm -hmm. tough night at home.
1: Oh yeah. Well, that's because fives hate to be to appear incompetent or unprepared. There you go. Bingo. And so yeah. But and ones do for different reasons for for a different underlying motivation. That's Mm -hmm. the key, right? Uh, So you can see similarities there. This is why those underlying motivations are so important to. See, up, but this right is there.
0: this is so funny because my wife being a five, we met in law school. She went to the solicitor side, the contract side. I went immediately to the courtroom. It's like, throw me in mm-hmm. court. Let me go beat someone up. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, right. You want to be
1: a litigator. Mm-hmm.
0: I do. Right? I want I to mean, be a litigator, 100%. Yeah, I, want
1: to, I want to go out there and kick some butt. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. And, I can smell your and, weakness. Mm-hmm. But you'll also meet a lot of eight, eight lawyers who might be um, social justice
0: advocates yes.
1: um, who... Because ACE are very, very concerned about the underdogs, defending the voiceless, uh, being people that are out in the world, um, giving a voice to those who feel marginalized and voiceless. Mm-hmm. And that's just a feature of their lives. So, you, you know, they make powerful advocates for um, the poor, uh, for people that, the, that society forgets.
0: Martin you know, Luther King Jr. was an eight. You great example.
1: Here. Yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I think he was an eight. I, you know, again, I, I don't know what was the underlying motivation of his behaviors, but he appears to have the hallmark features of a, of an eight. So, I, by the way- So, so a five.
0: We're, we're back to five. Yeah, I derailed yeah, right. you, but so, thank you.
1: You know, you know, I, I just think with them, I told a guy in a corporate setting, I had a bunch of fives. I said, listen- you don't need to. I mean, sure, you you should, but give them cash as a bonus at year's end. But if you really want to make them happy, give them more autonomy. Let them work from <laughs> let them work from home, where they don't have to feel drained by all the relational or social demands that being in a let's say a corporate setting would, would place upon them. Right? Mm. A, a three wants to be in that glass office, and, you know, the corner office with the best right. view. right? Right. Where everybody can see how successful they are. The five would like you to, uh, put them in an office somewhere in the basement where they're hard to find and where they can, you know, pile all their books and research and ideas and just, you know, immerse themselves in, in gathering and hoarding knowledge up. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and just sucking as much of it as they can into their, into their system. They're bottomless really for, for that stuff. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, with fives, um, give them privacy and respect it. I'd say, um, you know, give them, as I said, project dates mm. when they're due. To make sure you don't call meetings at the last second that don't have much of an agenda. They hate them. Don't ask, <laughs> yes. whatever you do, don't ask them to give a toast spontaneously at the Christmas party because mm. they'll, you know, they'll die. Uh, yeah, don't feel I mean, insulted when they leave the Christmas party earlier than everybody else. It's not personal. It's just that they've run out of relationship gas. <laughs> you, you, wow. you know what I'm saying? They yep. just started to shut down. They just don't have as much of that, of those resources as, as other people do. And, and they need to, they need solitude and they need, because that's where they really recharge. Mm.
0: That's
1: where they recharge. All right, sixes.
0: Sixes, loyalists.
1: Oh, man. I'll tell you, what they bring to the table in a a corporate setting is they're the first one to see what could go wrong in the plan, right? And so sometimes uh, sixes, if they're not careful, because they they have their worst-case scenario thinkers, they can feel a little bit like a wet blanket for people who are like threes and sevens and eights who have big ideas and they just want to go take the hill and they're, hmm. they're just willing to take risks. And the six will raise their hand and go, uh, excuse me. Uh, has anyone thought about what would happen if we pursued the course you're describing and, you know, we ran out of cash, <laughs> you know, we should wait until, you know, next quarter, the next qu- third quarter of next year. And and everyone in the room just goes, Uh oh.
0: Yeah, all the air's out, and you're like, uh, well, you're fired if you're unhealthy. Yeah. Right, yeah.
1: But but I tell people all the time, and I have to tell sixes how to do it, but, you know, every company needs a loyal devil's advocate.
0: And these people are loyal. It feels disloyal if oh, you're a certain no. personality, but they're extremely loyal, and they've act, they're actually trying to have your back. Is that the argument?
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing about sixes is, Like I always tell married people, people who are married to sixes, I say, when they say I do, they mean it. Like Mm -hmm. you're going to have a heck of a time getting to undo the I do, you know. We all need people in our lives, particularly aggressive types like three, sevens, and eights, who can tap our brakes and say, slow down a little bit. Think through the consequences of what you're proposing. Mm -hmm. You know, see the broader landscape and understand that this has implications that that could be dire right consequences that are dire if we just go into this without a whole lot of thinking you know right so that's that's fantastic the, the only thing is is if you're managing one you got to watch out for analysis paralysis you know because mm. they, they tend to uh have trouble making decisions of you know because they're they're thinking through all that can go wrong and so they 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 can end up paralyzed uh, by fear, right? And anxiety. Uh,
0: And what do they do well? They're good, like insurance people, they're good analysts, risk managers. managers?
1: Yeah. You know, how about risk management? Gosh, you know, if you you definitely want uh, a six that, you know, has got their eye on the, on what could go wrong, right? forecasting, right. Um, I mean, just go on and on. Again, Mm. I would say that that every type could, most types could do any job when they're healthy, but they'll just gravitate towards certain types of jobs or they won't last long in certain kinds of jobs if they're a mismatch with who they fundamentally are at their core, right? True. And uh, I'm going to give you an example of that with Sixes. Yeah, yeah. I had a a client of a a big company and they had a person on their... Their senior management team, who had been there since the company's inception, and the the CEO was watching this person really deteriorate in their job performance, and 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 couldn't figure out why uh, until I helped him realize that this person was a six, and that person was incredibly loyal to that CEO to the point that uh, they weren't. able to question or push back against them in the way that they wanted that person to. Wow. And they were, and, and and also because sixes, you know, there's a bit of resistance to change, you know? And so they, this person wasn't able to get on board with a, as the company went, moved from being analog to digital. Right. And I just, it was wonderful to watch how this person, this, this CEO, who was an eight. You know, his heart really went out to this person. And we we helped them um, really see that the best thing in that moment was to, to, was to move on, to transition away. And they, they just celebrated and gifted this person going out in, in the most wonderful way. When if they hadn't known the Enneagram, it could have been a terrible tearing away.
0: Isn't that interesting? You know, I don't want to camp a lot on it, but as you're talking a couple of, and this could be totally wrong headed, but having started in three very traditional churches that needed a lot of change. And I know there's thousands of leaders listening right now who are trying to transition small, dying, plateaued organizations, namely churches, or maybe it's a company or whatever. Do you find that when a church doesn't, do well for a long time. It's usually the loyalists who are left and that they're neurotic about change. I'm just thinking through my first five years of leadership going, gosh, I wonder how many sixes were in the room. Cause they, that what you're describing just sounds like that.
1: Well, remember they they have a real need to, well, a couple things. Number one, sixes, um, are very fixated on, on authority figures. Mm. Um, because to feel safe and secure, they see the authority figure as the, the key, right? Like if, if, the, right. if the right authority figure is um, going to make sure I'm safe and secure. So frankly, I see a lot of what I would say are, well, let's just say this across the board. What accounts for the rise of fundamentalism in multiple religions around the world? Well, we live in an increasingly dangerous, what feels like and is in many ways a dangerous, unpredictable, unsettled world. And so those people are going to look to authority figures uh, to provide them with answers in a sense that all shall be well, right? Uh, And so, uh, or political figures for that matter, Mm -hmm. um, without naming names. And so, you know. they're often, they might be some of the last people left in that church, and they might be the most fearful about, you know, well, that's not how we've done it before. And, yeah, or, yeah. you know, I, that makes me feel less safe and secure. They love, insta- they like ones, they, they like rules and protocols and predictable patterns of, of operation in the world. And so now, once you get them on board with change, once you answer all their questions, and they'll have a million questions to the point that it'll make you want to pull your hair out. Mm-hmm. But Once you answer all of them and you've respected those questions, they're with you, man. And they will be with you. They are all the way in. But you have to be patient and move them along at the pace that they can, at a pace of change that they can sustain comfortably, really. So
0: impatient three sevens and eights, listen up, (laughs) right? That's really important.
1: Okay. So you see how, and I know tons of pastors who are three sevens and eights, right? Yeah. Uh, and a lot of church planners who are sevens too, you know, a lot of times. Uh, so, you know, I would say if you know that, it changes everything. It does. Like y- you will have a – first of all, you'll have more compassion. You'll have more empathy. You'll see a better path toward where you want to get, right? You'll, you'll create less collateral damage in the community. Yeah. Uh, you know, inadvertent – you know, mistakes that, that because you thought everyone saw the world the same way you do. And I I will say that I think the biggest mistakes senior pastors or CEOs make in life and, or everybody can make, but particularly those people is presuming that your way of seeing the world is normal. Correct. Because if you, if you, if you read, for example, if you look at the Enneagram, if you run by that model, You'll understand that there are nine normal ways of seeing the world, and yours is just one of them. And if you don't take into account all the other eight, you're you're at a great great disadvantage.
0: So I know we're uh, we're not quite running out of time, but we're nearing the end of it. Sevens, eights, and nines, do's and don'ts. Yeah, yeah,
1: sure. I'll go a little quicker. All right. So sevens, these are great starters, man. Um, they are incredibly creative, energetic uh, optimistic. They're the first person you want to see when you arrive at the office every day. Um, they, they can identify patterns and trends and how they overlap in a way that other people can't. You want to make sure that you give them a big job description, a wide berth. Uh, you want to make sure you don't try and keep them in the same job over the long haul, because if they get bored, They'll make a. They, they just start to get in trouble, right? They need a lot of spontaneity, uh, multifaceted days, uh, and real encouragement to stay on track. Otherwise, they're they're distractible and, and start to flit around a little bit. And uh, but great great people to have on your team, and and but not always the best managers. Mm. You know, oftentimes this happens. Let's say with a pastor or a CEO, they they get something going. And they're awesome at it. Trust me, they're awesome. They just fire people up. They're inspiring, right? But when people start having to report to them and, you know, their attention's all over the place and the idea of, of being trapped in a job where they got to give 360s over and over and over again, you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to move them on to another startup inside the corporation or the, or you know, gotcha. you go say, okay. You got to go do something else now. You know you're you you got three to five years in this thing, and then you got to move into something new. Aids, you know, we've talked a lot about aids. I would just say mm-hmm. aids test authority, so you just got to be ready for it. You got to pony up and let them know who's the, if you're overseeing them. You better be strong enough to meet their energy and to convince them that you are a trustworthy leader that doesn't waffle on decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they they don't they don't give a lot of you know. M- Grace to people who who seem who aren't ready to charge forward, you know? right?
0: Right. And blunt um, is okay. I mean, I've said that to my team many times. Like, I want the truth. That is my okay. love language.
1: Right. Okay. But you also have to understand that the amount of calories other types have to expend to be blunt, <laughs> yes, is far greater than the amount of calories it takes for you to be blunt. You're, right. right? And so, again, that gives you the ability then to extend compassion and patience to other people who you see as being different from you. And, you know, let's face it. it, We all need these inflated egos of ours to be right-sized from time Mm. to time. Yes, we do. And one of the things the Enneagram does is is help us realize I'm another bozo on the bus. I just have another set of glasses on. That's (laughs) all. You know, and so my way of seeing the world is not the only way. And if someone's is different than mine, that doesn't make them dumb or, you know, at some level, you know, uh, out of their minds. It just means that they bring uh, a different angle of understanding to different situations and relationships that has to be taken into account, right? So anyhow, let's move on to nines because we've said a lot about this, right? All right. These are, like I said, these are these wonderful laid-back human beings or peacemakers in the in the workspace or at home or anywhere these are the best mediators around because they can bring all sides to the table they they can they can carve deals man they 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 bring harmony to a, a workplace that everybody needs they tend to sell themselves short though um and they they have lots of skills and they tend to over undervalue them they don't think their presence matters very much or that they can make, affect a lot of change in the world. And so they tend to kind of, if they're not careful, they, they'll fade into the background and just begin to go along with what the group wants rather than voice their own preferences, opinions, uh, and assert themselves and make their presence known. And so you have to encourage them to, to really, to say, you know, I'll say the nines all the time, what do you think? Don't, don't, don't mirror back to me what I think or what the group thinks. I want to know what you think, because we need to hear your particular voice and take on these matters, you know, and, and once they, again, for you, no problem. You know, in fact, mm-hmm. with an eight, I got to be like, okay, enough asserting.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's enough. It's like you know, I've I've heard of eights who have written on a sheet of paper. Close your mouth. Close your mouth. Close your mouth. Like, oh. and I I say that to myself. That's my self talk. It's like you've talked enough. Be quiet.
1: Yeah, well, that's self awareness. You see, that's what that is right mm. there. That's having enough self awareness to recognize in the moment. Okay, what's happening right now? Oh, I'm I'm I am falling into the autopilot of my personality. I'm not thinking and regulating and the excesses that my personality can take on. And when you can see it, you can do something about it and everything gets better.
0: <laughs> mm. This is so good. I feel like we could go on for a day. I really do. This is, this is so helpful. And this won't be the end of the story for me. We're running our whole team through this. And, you know, I've given it to friends and family members, the whole deal. But one of the things I really loved, uh, and it comes out in the book even uh, more so than maybe this conversation so far, uh, but this is a spiritual discipline too. I mean, this has its ancient roots. Nobody's sure exactly where it came from, but, you know, it's been used as a spiritual discipline tool. Um, I want to close on that. So tell us a little bit of, you know, this is not like, hey, I'm an aide, I'm large and in charge, get out of my way. It's not justification for ill health. It's spiritual progress. How does that work? And uh, do you want to say something about that?
1: Sure. So you you actually referenced it in the beginning of our conversation that self knowledge and knowledge of God are inextricably linked to one another, yeah. right? So if the I think the Enneagram reveals in its nine types the nature and the character of god right so let's think about this ones represent i think in the world the goodness of god twos the love of god threes the glory of god fours the pathos and the beauty of god fives the wisdom or the omniscience of god sixes the unfailing loyalty of God, sevens the joy of God, eights the power and the justice of God, and nine's the peace of God. right? Wow this is this is why all of us contain all of these numbers or pieces of these numbers because we're made in the image of God, right? Hmm. You happen to have more strength in that realm of power and, and justice than I do as a four. I tend to probably, be more gifted in areas of artistic expression and and beauty in service to what God's up to in the world. Now, as a spiritual discipline for me, that means I want to make sure that my superpowers are being used in service, not to the advancement of my ego and in in service to my agenda, protecting myself or manipulating others uh, to do what I want them to do, for my sake, right? Oh, and also I say, how do I begin to intentionally, consciously rely on or tap into those other types? They're the gifts those other types have, Mm -hmm. right? How do I develop them in myself? So I'm a more holistic person. I'm not just Johnny OneNote 4, right? I can, you know, have access and see, well, in this moment, I need to adopt some of the postures of a nine, or in this moment, a one, or in this moment, a six, you know. You you begin to have this language and knowledge that helps you kind of move around in, in a way that gives you access to all these dimensions of who God is. I, I tell people this is crazy, I know, but, you know, if if you want to know who God is, Maybe one of your best primary reference tools is you hmm. because if you're if you're made in the image of God, what better place to start to know who God is than with yourself wow. right so yeah yeah i you know it's it's to me it's I could go on and on about the, the all the different ways that you can use this as a spiritual formation tool, and there's so many ways but uh you know I think. It, again and again, it begins with self-knowledge and that's not navel gazing. It's not being self-absorbed. It's really learning about yourself so you can love other people better. Does that make sense?
0: Makes a lot yeah. of sense. And I think, you know, as I've, I've grown in this and even through the book, you know, my assistant of the last decade is a two. And at first we were radically different styles, but I've learned okay. so much yeah. from her. And she's learned one or two things from me along the way as well. And it's one of those things where as you begin to see the diversity, it's really a body of Christ thing. It's self-awareness. Andy Stanley, I once heard him say that the self-righteous are rarely self-aware. I mean, I think this all links together and it's a way for us to grow. So the book is called uh, the road back to you. It's an Enneagram journey to self-discovery Ian. This has been a great conversation. If people want to know more, uh, where can they find out more online?
1: Sure. They can go to iancron.com. They can follow me at, you know, on Twitter, let's say at iancron or on Instagram, ianmorgancron. And, um, you know, we we have a bunch of new products we have coming out, this new assessment, among others, uh, in January. And um, we're, we're, just excited and because i have to say gary there are very few things in life more satisfying than being able to make your living by doing something that genuinely helps other people Mm. i mean that's just that's what i I mean seriously like that's a gift like you're you're like holy smoke people pay me to do this i mean that's (laughs) like you know it's like uh to get up in the morning and ask yourself in just an amazement that that question like oh my gosh like I can see that I am actually moving the needle in people's lives and I get to do that for a living. So, you know, that's so exciting to me.
0: I, you know, I I resonate that I pinch myself most mornings. It's like, how did, how do I get to do this? Like, this is, this is just the craziest thing. And I actually enjoy it. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I know, man.
1: I know most people get up in the morning. And they think, "Oh, I got to go to work." And I think I get to go to work.
0: Yeah, me too. Yeah, and that's a, and, that's a world and to be different. able to help leaders. Well, you've helped uh, tens of thousands of people today with this episode, and um, so many more even with your book. So, thank you so much. I, I hope this isn't the last conversation. It's been a rich one. Thanks, Ian.
1: Me too. Thanks for being a great uh, a great interview with for me.
0: Man, that was. Uh... That was a rocket ride, wasn't it? Hey, we've got all the updated links, including potentially, I don't know whether we'll have it by the time I'm recording this intro outro, the brand new study to explore your type. When I blogged on this uh, back in December, I think we sent over 5,000, maybe closer to 10,000 leaders through to the old assessment. But I think Ian's right. Uh, this is this is one of those things where if you read the book, you find yourself. And uh, yeah, when I read uh, the thing about Enneagram Eight, I'm like, oh yeah. And the team that's worked with me the longest is like, you're totally an Eight. Ah, so I hope I stay a healthy Eight. Anyway, um, fascinating stuff. If you want more, we have show notes and transcripts. Just go to slash episode 241 or head on over to Lead Like Never Before. And you can just type in, in the search bar, Ian Cron, C-O-R-N, and you'll find everything there, including transcripts, if you're interested in that. Now, have you yet checked out ProMedia Fire? Uh, they are one of the partners that brings you this podcast, so you get it for free. And frankly, they can solve a problem that either you know you have, or or to be honest, you need to have. Because if you haven't got a serious digital presence in 2019, what are you doing? And if you go there right now until the end of the month, they got a launch special 10% off all plans for life, 40% off the media bundle for life, unlimited graphic design support, video services, their prices are already reasonable, a fraction of what you'd pay your own staff. And you can head on over to promediafire.com slash carry before it's too late to save 10 to 40% on a cloud-based solution for your social media needs. Wouldn't that be great to have that done already. And then Rethink Leadership is happening in May. Are you ready for that? Uh, I am. I'm excited. If you register now, you're going to get $40 off the door price and you receive a $50 credit toward any orange curriculum. So that's going to be fun. That's what we use at Connexus Church. Head on over to RethinkLeadership.com. Register before it sells out. And then guys, we're back tomorrow with a fresh episode because this is a really exciting week. Uh, I want to help you Crush 2019. And so we are in the last phases of this High Impact Leader launch. And the High Impact Leader course is a course that's helped thousands of leaders get their life and their leadership back. The High Impact Leader is a specific set of training skills that will help you reprogram your life so you get more done at work and you have more time at home. So I wanted to sit down and tomorrow we have a fresh episode with probably the most productive guy I know. And I know a lot of people. My good friend, Frank Buehler. Frank's one of my best friends. Also, I I mean, we were on a trip together recently and we were joking that he has 25 full-time jobs. And that actually is almost not an exaggeration. So anyway, Frank Buehler is in the house tomorrow and I deconstruct his schedule. So you don't want to miss that. You absolutely don't want to miss that.
1: We say yes because we're afraid the opportunity will never come around again. Mm. And that's not true for most of what we get to do. In fact, we'll say yes and actually do it poorly because we don't have time for it. And the likelihood that we get the opportunity again will decrease (sighs) instead of saying yes to a time where it's better better for us and
0: them. If you subscribe, you get that automatically. You're going to love it. And... Remember, don't wait because price goes up on January 31st. Thehighimpactleader.com is where you want to go if you want to get your life and leadership back in 2019. Uh, We got a lot of great guests coming up. We got Rich Birch, Scott Sauls, John Ortberg, Gary Chapman, Katie Cole, Ruth Haley Barton, so many more. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before.